All right. We are live on Chewy's Road to Enlightenment, and I have my guest Brandon Furchus on with me. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> no sarcasm in that fantastic either. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, life is good. Yes, sir. How you been? Oh, great. How was your day? My day has been wonderful. It's even better now that we're doing this. Oh, oh, I see why we're we're at a dead stop. You're uh you're on the road right now. Yeah, yeah, heading back to Cape Cod. I was actually out in your neck of the woods. Uh we had to come out to Robert's manufacturing today in Springfield. <laughs> and now I'm heading back to the Cape and uh just admiring all the people who ran out of town and left lane wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we were sitting in this bumper to bumper traffic and i'm coming at you from the road never a dull moment in massachusetts no no sir well uh <clears throat> we're gonna get right into this thing um perfect let's uh let's talk about where are you from originally uh so i lived in western mass the majority of my life uh, i was born in westfield um my adolescence was raised in springfield um, I currently live on Cape Cod. Um, I moved out here about three years ago. Okay. Uh, two and a half, three years ago. Um, yeah. And I live out here with, uh, my girl and we share our boys together and, uh, yeah, it's great. Fantastic. And, uh, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna get into a little bit. So <clears throat> let's talk about, uh, you know, growing, growing up in Westfield, Springfield, um, I know your grandfather was a huge influence in your life. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. Let's talk um, about your grandfather for a minute. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my grandfather owned a dealership in Westfield, um, used car and rental place. It was called Fenton Leasing. Um, it was a, an old building that they had purchased um, and renovated. You know, it was a pool factory that turned into a dealership like sometime in the 70s. Uh, and my family's like lineage with automotive goes way, way back in the city of Westfield. Um, you know, my, my great, great grandmother was the first female auto dealer in the U S Catherine Isabel Fenton. She's in the Henry Ford old timers, uh, hall of fame in Detroit, Michigan. And, uh, you know, my whole family kind of ran with that automotive legacy, um, you know, throughout their lives. And that dynasty essentially ended with my grandfather. Um, so yeah, he had a dealership in Westfield that I grew up behind. There was like four condo units and I lived next door to him. Yeah. Um, so when my mom and dad were still together, uh, you know, we were his neighbor. So I was just fully immersed in all things automotive from a very, very young age. And still are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately some days, right? Yeah. No, but, but <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, it's a it's a great uh, great thing, a uh, pretty decent community. Yeah, well, it's like anything else. It, you have uh, you have the the plus side and the negative side, and uh, such is life. That's the balance. You know, we got to you got to balance out all the bullshit with all the good stuff. So, it absolutely it, it is what I, it is. I, I uh, not to to sidestep, but man, I wish that there was like a visual component here where you could see like my view. So, you know, like I, I told you before this started, I, I was dead stop bumper to bumper traffic on the bike. Mm -hmm. uh, some guy had like this tiny little landscaping trailer that was like 1000% home built. And uh, 
I, he must have like run out of top of the ring and capsized this fucking thing and scattered it across your knees in that fight. Like he's having a real bad day. Um, like definitely would have been a, a good sight to not a good sight to see, but an, an entertaining one. <laughs> like sloppy mechanics built or uh, oh, way worse. Oh my god, dude! It was like every piece of discount lumber from Lowe's just scattered from one side of the highway to the other. Mm, that's nice. Enjoy the yard sale, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. So if you're uh, currently traveling, what's that? East on I ninety. Good luck. <laughs> and we all know the uh, joys of traveling uh, on I ninety. It's just a wonderful highway to uh, to commute on and uh, engage with fellow enth- motor enthusiasts. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, I shared somebody else's misfortune for the day. That's right. Um, yeah. Yep. So, uh, Westfield, your, your grandfather, um, very deep lineage with uh, automotive. Automotive. Um, yeah. Yeah. So basically, like what my my day would look like was, you know, either get up and go to school or get up and go in the garage. Like it was one of those two things, you know. So, your grandfather. He kept the car that you, you kind of you definitely kept it going. I mean, uh, I know you working at PVTA for a while as a mechanic. Right. Yeah. Worked on the city buses. Uh, that was like my second or third gig. I worked at Toyota for a while. I worked at Circuit City back when that was still a thing. Yeah. Back when you can go to a radio store. Right. Right. We could uh, we could set you up with those subwoofers. That's nice. Yeah. I want yeah. my windows to blow out, please. Thank you. Exactly. Or remote start the shit out of your car. <laughs> and go ahead and add some underglow, please. Thank you. <laughs> you, but, uh, you know you were yeah, guilty. Yeah, well, definitely been at it for a long, long time. You know. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep it with the car thing for a minute, um, just because we're we're talking about that. Um, so yeah, you were doing doing the PVTA, and when I met you, that's where you were working over at. I yep. I think we've known each other probably close to fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, yeah, and then you uh, you opened up a performance shop. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> so, a uh, little, little backstory on that. Like, so it, the one thing that everybody asked me, um, you know, especially the people who knew, like, loosely knew of my grandfather and my family, everybody asked, like, why I didn't just carry on with uh, his business and keep that whole thing going. Yeah. Um, I definitely would have liked to, you know, um, I, I had an interest in it for sure. Um, and you know, as you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but I, I was very involved in this business, um, prior to starting my own. Um, but you know, family members passing have a, a funny way of, uh, uh, the money, it didn't become clear um, who, if anybody, would continue that business as a managing partner? What would happen to the assets? And that was uh, it, its own big debacle. But um, you know, that was kind of seeing the direction that that was trending was one of the, the big motivators for me to just kind of go out on my own and start my own thing. And uh, you know, and me and my grandfather were interested in two very different aspects of the business. Like he enjoyed the thrill of the sale and. Uh, I much more enjoyed, you know, the, the thrill of going fast and making yeah, things. Yeah, making shit fucking fast. 
Right, right. Yeah, I wasn't uh, I wasn't super interested in selling Chevy Malibus, but uh, I was very interested in running single digits. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, hobby became, you know, passion was hobby, and hobbies now work. So let's talk a little bit about, because uh, we got to mention the Monte Carlo. Oh, the, the which one? <laughs> well, let's let's talk about. So you had the first first vision with uh, the front wheel drive LS four swap Monte Carlo, the gray the gray car. You, you want me to go like way way? Back? Let's yeah. Let's take this back to the beginning. <laughs> All right. So I have had an unhealthy obsession with uh the 2000 to 2005 body style Monte Carlo, like since their inception um so you know my grandfather's got this little dealership uh, i was out there all the time he would still get new car literature from gm and uh sometime in 99 he got a poster of uh the new redesigned Monte Carlo for 2000 um and it had uh, Tasmanian Devil and like the Black SS Monte Carlo. I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Like I, as soon as I saw that poster, I knew I wanted to have one. Um, so in 2005, when I graduated from uh, high school of science and technology in Springfield, uh, my grandfather's graduation present to me was uh, he found me a Monte Carlo that I could afford. Um, so at the time it was only five years old. It was a 2000 Monte Carlo. It was an LS. So it had a naturally aspirated 3.4. And, um, what we did was he bought me a plane ticket cause he had a condo down in Fort Lauderdale, which was close proximity to where he found the car. Yeah. Um, so he flew me down to Florida. He picked me up at the airport and his Monte Carlo, cause he had a white 2000 SS, uh, brought me to pick up my new car. And then we drove back. Uh, from Florida to Massachusetts together and our matching cars. Um, so that was like 18-year-old me's like little feel-good story and having a nice little road trip with my grandfather. Yep. Um, so fast forward to uh, many years later, I had several Monte Carlos after that. I did not keep that car um, like an idiot. Uh, sometime in 2008, I was working at Toyota Scion. I decided I needed a Scion, so I traded that Monte Carlo. Uh, instantly regretted it, and I think within 14 months, I had another one. I had a supercharged one. Um, so, I mean, I, there, there's always been a Monte Carlo, like, in my adult life. Um, so, fast forward a little bit to the gray car that you uh, started to touch on, um, which, it, did you know that was an accidental purchase? No, I don't think we ever talked about that. Well, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Can you hear me now? I can. You're loud and clear. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that accidental purchase. Well, I can hear you. Can. We're, uh, he's in, he's in route and, uh, I knew there was going to be some issues with uh, with connection. Go ahead. Hi, welcome to Chewy's Road to Enlightenment. Hey, hey is this Brandon Furchus from Furchus Performance? So. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Um, yeah. So it, uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear your answer. Did you did you know that that was like an accidental purchase? I I knew. Th- 
I knew somewhat of the backstory, but um, not the entire. Let's let's go ahead and talk. Get right into that. All right. So, 2013, right? Uh, year my dad passed away uh, was also the year that I opened my first shop. Um, so I was over in uh, Springfield. I was over in Indian Orchard. I had a small little uh, three and a half bay. It was like three days with a loading dock. Um, and I was just doing, you know, all the young entrepreneurial stuff and setting myself up with my wholesale accounts and figuring out who I was going to buy from and um, all the, the fun that comes with that, right? Yep. So <clears throat> I started an account with Copart, which for those of you who don't know, Copart is like, a national insurance salvage auction. So you can buy like, you know, shit that was recovered theft or smashed or floods. I mean, every, um, you know, when your car gets totaled, that's where it goes to Copart to die. And some idiot like me comes along and buys it. So uh, I was browsing through the inventory and I saw that there was a, you know, what appeared to be a really nice Monte Carlo in the South Boston lot. So I set my bid at 500 bucks and I forgot all about it. Um, you know, I had like two weeks before it went up for auction. Uh, so it was a Friday, I was at my shop, got a notification on my phone that uh, I was high there and I didn't know what I was high there on. I realized I had bought myself a Monte Carlo. Thank you. Um, so I won that car for 500 bucks. You know, by the time you pay all the fees, you know, the gate fee, the online bid fee and everything, probably closer to 800 and I uh, sent somebody down there to pick it up. So the uh, guy went down there and he called me. Um, we really had no idea what we were getting because it was sight unseen. But, um, you know, it was one of the, the few times that I actually uh, came out with an awesome purchase. Uh, the car only had 23,000 miles on it. Um, it had like virtually no damage. It had like one dent on the rear quarter panel and it was a recovered theft out of Gardner Mass. Nice. Um, so you know, I accidentally purchased this like cream puff and the logical thing to do would have been clean it up and sell it because it was a pretty valuable piece at the time. Um, but you know, of course I can't leave anything alone. I really like those cars. So that was the very first one that I LS swapped. Um, you know, I, I transplanted an LS4 from a later generation Monte Carlo into it. Um, and that's when I developed the Cadillac transmission swap to go with it. Um, you know, and as you know, that's been a, a big hit to talk more about that. Yep. Um, but yeah, that car was the, basically the proof of concept for my swap. Um, and very, very first time out with that car in Lebanon and like, it was, you know, it, it was done well. Um, but we hadn't made, um, any of the progress in terms of like product development compared to where we are now. I mean, we're really just throwing our feet to the fire to see what would happen. Uh, and very, very first path out, that car went 11 money. Um, it, it upset the previous record holder for front-wheel drive LS4 um, and a W body. Uh, and that, I would say that car was probably the biggest catalyst for everything we've done and where we've landed, you know, today. Yep. And is that car still around? It is still around. Um, so uh, it was uh, sold to uh, one of my clients. Um, and he is actually going to be putting it back to like a little bit more of a street car. It was a little bit too racy. Yep. Um, 
you know, it, it needed a uh, full exhaust instead of exhaust out the bumper. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, uh, the catalog of parts has come a long way since then. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, you know, now that I'm, you know, at, uh, on my road to recovery here, um, when we jump back into that thing, we're going to make it a little bit more modern. We, you know, all the stuff we've learned since then, you know, all the stuff we've learned in the past 10 years already. Yep. Yeah, dude, it's, I know, time flies, huh? It's crazy to think about that. Like, we reset that record 10 years ago. I mean, as as you know, we've gone much faster than that since then. Um, and nobody has done anything with that since. Like, it's boring out here. Somebody listen to this. Give me some competition. Like, Yeah, somebody build something. Made- somebody build something <laughs> fast. I make all the parts so you can do it too. Come on. Yep, check them out. Uh, yeah. What platform are you? Uh, do you want? I mean, now's a good time if you want to throw a quick plug in on your uh, on your business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's uh, just LS4 Kingman. Um, we do everything W body related. It started off as like an adventure of let's see how fast we can go with these Cadillac trainees that are worth nothing. Um, and the cars have gotten quicker and faster over the years. Um, the last car with a seventy-two millimeter turbo on it. That thing went 1020 at 138 mile an hour back to back. Um, and that was full blown streetcar. You know, we had full leather interior, air conditioning, heated seats. Um, and it was still very much so wrong wheel drive. Um, the new build we've got going on now is definitely raised the bar from where we were previously a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm fully anticipating single digit passes out of it. Nice, yeah. The green car was the green car was fun. Oh yeah, it was like yeah. It was hands down like the best street car I've ever put together. It was just so much fun. Yeah, unlimited burnouts. Right, smiles on everybody's face. Like you and I could jump in it. We can go to Starbucks and you know just sit there and shred tire all day, but it still went to the track and performed really, really well. Yeah. Oh, and can can we note that? We didn't tow the car to the track and run 10 20s. We drove an hour and a half from Springfield in 95 degree weather just to get off the highway and click off those numbers and drive it home. Yeah, that's um, that would that that's the that's the beauty of that car and what you're doing. It's like right. you have a purpose, well, a purpose-built race car, but it's also like, hey, I'm going to go drive, you know. Right. I mean, it's like, a, you know how it is with how invested you are with the Mustang community. It's like, like your son would be a great example, right? Like your kid wants to go out and he wants to get into a Mustang. You can't do it affordably. Like there's no clean shells out there to start with that are reasonably priced for a young kid that wants to get into automotive stuff. And the same is true for Camaros and, yep. um, you know, Mopar stuff's even worse. So like, that's why the W body stuff is always... You know, say what you want. Big deal. It's front wheel drive. Get over it. Like it's a good, affordable way for people to get into the hobby and have something that's unique and reliable and performs well and looks cool. You know, it checks a lot of boxes. Yep. Um, it just gets overlooked because it spins the front wheels instead of the back. That's it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, people, uh, people always, ju- you know, qu- people are quick to judge. You know, especially. Uh, they see a car like that, front wheel drive, like, oh, Jesus, like, what the hell, really? And then you right. go for a ride or you get to go down the track in it and you're like, holy shit, this is like, 
this is next level. This is not just a 195 horsepower. It's 784 horsepower, you know, right. and that's, uh, you know, kudos on that build. That was, uh, that was awesome. That was a fun time, um, you know, being down that the old shop there and, you know, being there for that. That was uh, good stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely miss that spot sometimes. We had a lot of fun there. Yeah, I don't think McDonald's misses you. Right. And 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 the surrounding. <laughs> yeah, or just the town of Ludlow in general. That's fine. Yeah, they they probably don't miss you, um, but yeah. yeah, that was that was always yeah doing the burnouts in the parking lot there while people are working on their stuff and you know hanging out and it's like just watching the smoke billow <laughs> over to the drive-through window at McDonald's and I'm I always I'm like oh my god those poor sons of bitches inside because you know it reeked of rubber inside the restaurant. <laughs> You know what's wild about that place? I was there three years. And, like, if we went two consecutive days back-to-back of not just absolutely annihilating the tires on something from one end of the parking lot to the other, like, that was a rare. Like, but they never said a thing, ever. Ever. We never had one visit from the police. They never came over and said anything next door. And I mean, like... I, I don't even know how to explain this to the people who are listening in and aren't familiar with the place, but like, well, we, we must have had a, a 200 foot long driveway that ran parallel to their takeout windows. Yes. And you could definitely build boost in a turbo car and uh, do launches there. Oh yeah. Successfully. Flames pop out of the hood and then just roll a big smoker from one side of the parking lot to the other. And like, it's just dinner and a treat for those fine people picking up their McChickens. Like they, that was a nice little setup we had. And you know, you know, maybe because too, like, um, you know, they were all, there were a bunch of young kids over there working. So I'm sure they were pumped seeing that, that kind of stuff going on. I mean, right. I know so just, just enough recklessness on private <laughs> property to keep everybody content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We like to party over here just a little bit, just a little bit, not, not a lot, just a little though. That was uh, my new place. I got neighbors. I haven't done one because I'm trying to be respectful. Yeah, and now you have to. Yeah, you and you're in a um, much more updated building. Um, nice, Brand nice new, and clean. Man. Yeah. I mean, the, the other place, you know, it had its um, had its advantages and disadvantages. Should I say? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes. Very true. Sometimes the roof would just start leaking. <laughs> like every time it rained. Yeah, like yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My guy's gonna come fix that. Your your guy hasn't fixed it though. It's still leaking water everywhere. Oh my god, I forgot about the first time you met that guy. That's a, we we gotta save that. That's a whole other episode one day. Yes, yes, his his uh, beautiful uh, maintenance on his oil burner. That was. Uh, <laughs> that was I, I, I that was the first time I ever seen an oil burner put on a cinder block. Um, and removable while it's still running um, to clean and access. That was. Remember in Home Alone when he goes in the basement and the, the fucking boiler is like talking to him? Yes, that was the, that was <laughs> the boiler. Actual model, right? Yes, yeah, it was probably 1920s. Uh, very, very original. All the steam. Um. So yeah. So uh, you know, fa- we'll we'll fast forward a little. So you, you got out of that shop. Um. Then your life kind of took a turn. You had yeah, a... actually, so it was, it was still in that shop. Okay, uh, you were still there. Yeah, yeah, all right. So 
um, you know, we talked a little bit about the first Monte Carlo, the gray one. You brought up the the the, the green chameleon colored one. Yep. Um, and that's one actually you you stepped in and uh, helped out big time with that. So uh, that car was getting like a ton of publicity, ton of recognition. Um, a bunch of like digital media uh, magazines had picked up the content. They were running with it. And uh, you had reached out to Steve Mignante. Yep. Shout um, out to Steve. And mentioned to him. Yep. And uh, mentioned to him that we had this like pretty cool little thing going on that might be interested in checking it out. And he was like, he was all for it, right? Yeah. Steve. Steve's a good. I got to get him on here at some point because uh, he's got some crazy fucking stories, and uh, he's just a good dude. He is a good dude. Oh, absolutely, and everything he's seen for sure. Yeah, he was um, he was definitely engaged with that project. Like right, he loved right. that. That was that was right up his alley. That was and you know, him and I had talked about it um because it, you know, he had brought up the um his Chevette with the 502 caddy motor in it. Right. And right. it and that's he was like, "Yeah, this is like right up my alley." Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And like, what a, what a nice guy. What a humble guy, too. Yeah. And um, yeah, you can still see him. Uh, Barrett Jackson. He's a host on Barrett Jackson. He's on the stage. A uh, guy with the, the glasses on that uh, knows absolutely everything about any car. Um, I don't think there's a vehicle or a make or model that he doesn't know about. Um, just an encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. Encyclopedia. Of encyclopedia. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. So, things kind of got... Got a little crazy for you there with the car. And yeah, so that car, like, he came out, like, February. came out February of 19. It was, like, early in the year. Um, it, it was definitely cold. There wasn't snow anymore. Um, and, you know, he, he came out, wrote up the article, took him for a ride in the car. He sent out the photographer shortly after. And that was slated to be the cover car of um, Car Craft Magazine for the August of 2019 issue. Um, so I know you and I were like super patiently waiting for that issue to come out. Yep. Um, and, uh, during that time frame, um, you know, my, the, the year before, like 2018, uh, we, you know, I lost my grandfather. Um, so my grandfather passed away in uh, May of 18, you know, you're we still kind of rolling, riding this roller coaster with the business, you know, and, it was still a very new business. Things were up and down, but we were getting some good publicity. So, like, you set up this whole meeting with Steve Benyante, and that was, like, super cool. And we were, like, patiently waiting for this magazine article to drop, right? So, uh, June of that year, I got a phone call from my grandfather's estate, uh, the managing party that was taking care of all the assets. And, you know, the, the white money car, like I told you now, at the beginning of this, uh, that he had picked me up from at the airport that we drove back together cross country uh he still had that car when he passed yep um and that was the only thing i wanted from his estate i didn't give a shit about anything else or the infighting between family members like all i wanted was that um so the estate ran it by the other interested parties they attached a number to it and i was able to secure the vehicle and uh june 19th um end of june i took delivery on it so you know i was like riding this high right you know it's uh now we're into the month of july you know magazines coming out next month i got my grandfather's car so i had like a little piece of it you know business was going pretty good so like everything was looking uh very optimistic and then 
uh, August 15th, that, that all changed. Um, I was actually on my way to Munson, and I I almost never took that Monte Carlo out. Like, I always took it out if I was, like, running errands or, well, not, not running errands, only if it was, like, a nice day and I was going somewhere and I wanted to drive it, you know? Yep. Uh, so I slapped the dealer plate on the car, took it to Munson, and I was heading up the AG design where he was manufacturing some of my parts at the time. And, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, super beautiful day out. Um, you know, I, I remember windows are down, clear as could be. And I was on a section of Route 32 where, I mean, you can see for a while, like it, probably a mile and a half long stretch of just straight two-lane road. And uh, at the, the last possible moment, um, this woman who was coming head on towards me in the CRV, uh, she just drastically veered into my lane. I had nowhere to go. I swerved to the right as hard as I could, but there was a little guardrail. I actually like tagged it trying to get away from her. Uh, but she hit me head on, ripped the front suspension right out of the car, like clean off. There was no wheel in the front, dropped it right down on the subframe. And uh, we landed, it was like 184 feet apart. Um, I knew I was hurt. I knew like something felt funny in my leg, but I didn't know like what the extent of my injury was. I just knew the car was smoking really bad. And, like I had to get out. So, uh, the windows were down, door was fucking smashed, and no way I was getting out the driver's side. So I crawled up over the console, and as I came out the passenger side window of the car, um, this guy was approaching me, like, come to find out later, it was somebody in the Munson Fire Department, plain clothes, who just happened to be coming down the road. Um, and he could see, like, there was some deformity near my leg, and, you know, he was trying to tell me, like, don't get up, don't get up, but I was concerned about the woman who hit me. Um, so I, you know, I tried to jump to my feet to run over and check on her because I didn't see anybody get out of that vehicle. And, um, you know, I, I realized that my leg was really, really bad. Um, I had severed the tip and fib in half. Um, so internally there was nothing keeping the leg together, like, you know, halfway down below the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that was keeping it together was skin, you know? Um, so... I knew at that point I was out of the fight <laughs> and I just sat at the curb and tried to collect myself and patiently wait for, uh, you know, the EMTs and the rest of the rescue people who came through. Um, you know, the woman who hit me, uh, never met her never talked to her, but I honestly don't even know what she looks like. I just saw a silhouette of her and she hit me. Uh, but it's my understanding she walked away from the accident, um, with minor or injuries, which is great. You know, thank God for that. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the same for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had very substantial uh, damage to my right leg. And, uh, that, you know, as you know, that, that definitely turned my life upside down. Starting that, you know, starting on that day in 2019. And uh, so you were in the hospital for a bit. I know I came up and saw you when you were up there. And yeah, yeah. So the first, first go around was two and a half weeks. Um, and, and, you know, that, that sounds like a long time. It definitely is. It's a long time to be in a hospital, but uh, the primary reason was just there was so much damage that they really couldn't do anything. They they had to let all the swelling and inflammation go down before they could even operate. Um, so I think it was 14 days before the first surgery. Then I was discharged for about two weeks, and then they brought me back in for the second reconstructive surgery. Um 
yeah, so in the course of 45 days, there was two surgeries with uh, three plates and 26 fasteners they put in there to hold the leg back together. And then uh, things seemed to be going okay, but then got bad again, right, with the leg? Yeah, so that whole period of my life was like just absolutely bananas, right? So, you know, that that happened at the end of 19. The recovery was very expensive. Um, You know, they they told me early on that I was going to have very limited range of motion on the right hand side. Um, You know, running, hiking, all those things were never out of the question. Um, and I mean, as you know, like, even walking on grass was difficult, like any, any uneven surface, yep. um, was just very challenging. <laughs> and then, you know, kind of the icing on the cake was, you know, 2020 and rolling into COVID, right? Um, so I was still very fresh in my recovery, but like nobody knew what they were doing. Protocols were changing daily. You needed to be tested to go to PT one day that you know, masks and all this other stuff. I mean, everything that we endured during that whole time period. Yeah. That really complicated things. Um, but because so many of us were home, um, you know, we, obviously we, we couldn't go out like we used to. Uh, you know, workloads were much smaller. So, like, even though it was challenging, having that limited mobility, it, it didn't really show its true colors and, like, how prohibitive it was just because there were so many activities that we couldn't do for a year and a half. Yep. Um, so I, I think it's kind of funny. Like, I think if you look at the deterioration of my situation, like it, it definitely was on the tail end of COVID when things started opening back up and I was more active and I could go places and, um, you know, on top of working long hours on a concrete floor in labor intensive industry. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't know what set the dominoes in play, but, uh, you know, the, sometime in the end of 20, beginning of 21, uh, the hardware started to get uh, infected. And, Christ, I mean, I, I lost count of how many surgical interventions they did. Um, you know, the, as you know, the first big one was they had to pull all the hardware out. They thought everything healed enough and was stabilized enough that they could safely remove the hardware and try to get the infection out of my bone. Um, and they thought they were successful, but it, it was just... Oh, God, I had a lot of details uh, I don't want to bore you with, but no, it was no. just a very, yeah, very challenging time frame. Because um, like every time we thought that we would see light at the end of the tunnel, there was just <laughs> another setback, like another bout of infection or questionable fluid accumulation that um, you know, it, on top of the medical intervention that it required to correct those issues, I mean, just not knowing whether I would wake up and be able to walk that day was like the the mental impact of that was significant. So, you know, a lot of things took a back seat during that time period of my life. Um, you know, a lot of relationships were affected. My work life was certainly affected. It was just. Uh, there wasn't a lot to be optimistic about during that that time. Like, so anytime you sustain an injury, like you want to get better, you don't want to progressively get worse and just have like this slow deterioration. If that makes sense. No, no dude. I, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. I don't know the extent, but I know where you're coming from with that. Like, yeah, 
you have, <clears throat> and I think as a, as people that are kind of driven, I mean, or we're driven, I'm not going to say kind of, we're driven people. Like we strive for, we want the best and, and we want things a certain way. Um, when they don't, when things don't go your way, it's like, it's almost like you take two steps back after taking two steps forward. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think that was always, you know, for myself and I know, you know, I could, I could probably speak for you on this, like one of the hardest things, because it's like, okay, I need to be here by this date and this is what I'm going to be doing. And I'm going to have, you know, this, this is where I'm going to, after that's done, I'm going to have this, you know, because you like having a game plan or, you know, as much of a game plan as you can and, you know, trying to execute it. And, uh, yeah, I, I just challenges come up and things change. Right. Right. And like, you know what I think one of the most frustrating things for me is like, I'm, I'm a very mechanical person, right? I'm very much so, Oh, if that's broken, then we're going to fix it. If they don't have the parts to fix it, we'll make the parts to fix it. Right. Like, so that's how I'm wired. That's how my brain works. So, you know, when I initially had this injury, I was like, whatever, big deal. Like if Anderson Silva can wrap his leg around somebody in the cage, like, I can have a little car accident. They'll put the shit back together, you know. Yep. Same nothing. And you know, to to, I, I think like kind of, I don't know, call it whatever you want, call it being naive, call it being ignorant. But like, I really carried that for like the first year. I was like, this fact, you know, they were very straightforward with me, and they told me, hey, you're not going to run again. Hey, you're not going to climb again. Hey, you're not going to do all this shit. But I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, it, it, medicine's come so far, right? Well. At the end of the day, you know, you got broken pieces. There's only so many different ways that they can put it back together. And, like, I don't hold any ill will towards my original surgeon or the original medical team that worked on me. They did a great job on fixating things and um, gave me as much time with that leg as they could. You know, they did everything in their power to save it. But, like, yep. yeah, it's easy to get caught up. It's easy to get caught up and think that, like, you know the best on the situation and that things are just going to work out and, uh, I think that's why it was um, even harder to navigate it when things got complicated and they didn't go according to at least the plan in my head because I was like, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to make a full recovery, but I thought I was going to be way better than what I was, you know? Yep. Um, and it was funny because, like, I would actually bring things up like that. I'd be like, well, you know, this isn't that uncommon of a break. Like, here are examples of points in history where other famous or famous <laughs> people have experienced that and they come out the other end. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, uh, you can't compare your situation to somebody else's because you don't know the extent of damage internally. Like, you know, my my thought process wasn't too full, too far off. I was concentrating on the, the tip and fib that were, like, severed in half. I was like, yeah, you put that back together, it's big, right? Well, like, my issue and the reason why I had so much um, complication was uh, lower than that. It was actually the the entire ankle. Because um, like during that accident, you know, I must have tried to jump on the brake pedal at some point. Just all that force just came up through my foot. Mm-hmm. You know, that energy had to go somewhere. So yeah, on the path of least resistance, which in my case was the ankle, the tip, and the fit. <laughs> yep, took them all out. Right, right. Um, yeah, so. It was a rough couple of years. Um, 
plagued by complication and multiple surgeries. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I think uh, the, the tipping point for me um, was the winter of 21. That was like the last real bad batch of infection I had gotten. Um, and you remember, we were talking at the time, I had a, um, so basically a, a to back up a little, what had happened was I had a flare-up. Uh, you know, my ankle used to swell up, you know, massive. So it would be huge. So um, that was just a typical everyday progression. I would get up, go to work, work as long as I could, which was like somewhere this is going to be a 10 to 12 hours, literally to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. And I'd go home, let the swelling go down overnight, and I would start it all over the next day. Um, well, that routine was broken because for a couple of days the swelling didn't go down and finally went to the hospital there was a huge fluid collection um so they do they do this thing called like an ultrasound guided drain quite literally ultrasounding the ankle they look for the fluid pocket they extract it with a needle it's not very intrusive and then they send that fluid out to be cultured to determine whether or not it uh has any bacteria in it yep so um you know they had cultured that fluid they determined that there was a bug in there they were concerned about sepsis and infection again. Um, and they scheduled a surgery for another debridement, another cleaning out of the ankle joint. So the surgery was like two weeks out. Um, they couldn't get, they couldn't like facilitate it for two weeks and they were comfortable leaving me on uh, IV medication. So I was on uh, vancomycin and septriaxin, which are like, those two antibiotics are like two wicked heavy hitters and they also cross into a variety of other antibiotics like other other antibiotics in various families yep um so they're they're far reaching um well what happened <laughs> was they gave me a pick line uh so the pick line presents like an iv you know you got like a little port coming out of your arm yeah, uh, but it actually goes through one of your main lines all the way to the heart. So when you hook up the medication, it's actually introducing the medication to your heart, which then gets pumped in through the rest of your body. So uh, three times a day, I had to administer this IV medication at home for two weeks. And they were in these little medicine balls; they would just slowly collapse. Medicine would go into my system. Um, so everything was going fine with that, aside from being a massive inconvenience, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember the morning of the, the scheduled surgery, uh, Kat and I were driving into Boston and, um, you know, I, I was just looking down at my arms and I, like, I started developing this crazy rash. Like, that's weird. You know, like I'm, I'm fair skin, but, um, and it just kept spreading and spreading and, you know, no bullshit, but that an hour, um, you know, maybe a little over an hour, um, that rash had spread to my entire body and, uh, what they determined they, you know, they ended up rushing me into surgery. Uh, they determined I had what's called dress syndrome. And uh, dress syndrome is a smoldering, uh, hyperallergic reaction uh, to one of those two medications in question. And, you know, it attacks my liver, it attacks my kidneys. Um, you know, it's a, it's a serious disease, um, 10% mortality rate. It's a very serious reaction. Uh, and I was just fortunate that I happen to be going to the hospital that morning anyways, because I mean, I, I don't know, I necessarily would have rushed to the hospital for a rap. Right. Um, but that whole experience and 
the two weeks in the hospital that followed that, that, that was kind of like, that was enough was enough at that point. Like, I think collectively by then I had had seven surgeries on that leg. Um, you know, not, not counting like outpatient procedures. Um, and that's when I linked up with uh, Dr. Cardi in Boston from Brigham and Women's. And we started having real serious conversations about what an amputation would look like um, so that I could get my life back. Um, but yeah, that was that whole situation in the winter of 2021 was definitely what kind of pushed me over the edge to pursue this. And then you had your lower half of your right leg amputated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was a process. It definitely, uh, it definitely does not happen overnight. So um, the program I'm in was a, a research initiative. Um, Dr. Cardi has pioneered this procedure called the, the Ewing amputation. So uh, fun fact, aside from uh, Dr. Cardi's procedure, uh, amputation and the procedure of amputation has not changed since the Civil War. Oh, wow. Um, you would think that there would be drastic... Um, you would think there would be some like drastic improvements by now, but there, there is not. Um, so Dr. Cardi's approach is a little bit different and, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a, the technical aspect of like what that looks like. Um, so in a normal amputation, the, uh, muscles, ligaments, the bone is all quite literally cut. You know, a, a skin flap is left, it's pulled over, it's sewed shut. Um, and you're left with a residual limb. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens is over time, muscle atrophy sets in, uh, you know, and the limb just slowly shrinks, um, and it becomes fairly irrelevant. You know, you have a prosthetic that you can strap onto it, you can move weight through it. Um, but aside from that, it serves no, I don't want to say no function, but uh, yeah, no function in terms of sensory feedback, right? Yep. It's there, you know, it's there, but it doesn't do anything, yep. right? Um, so this procedure that uh, Dr. Cardi uh, established in collaboration with MIT is called the Ewing amputation, named after James Ewing, who was the first recipient. Uh, and basically what they do, in, so in my application, where you know, I'm a below-knee amputee, um, they take the muscle pairings that are responsible for all your ankle movement, so dorsi, plantar, inversion, eversion. And they actually reconnect those muscles. So instead of just being snipped and not going anywhere, they're now interconnected. So it's kind of like um, completing an electrical circuit. Right? Okay, yep. Uh, instead of having two wires that are individual of each other, they're now connected and they share that signal. Um, so when I think about moving my, my phantom ankle, if you will, um, at the tip of my residual limb, you can actually see the muscles contracted. You can see uh, my stump actually move a little bit because the muscles inside are still doing what they would do if I had a foot in place. It's an agonist-antagonist motion. Um, so one muscle group will pull the foot, you know, the foot in quotation marks up and down and then in and out. And uh, right now, that is vastly irrelevant with the current technology that's available. Um, but within the next seven to ten years, <clears throat> excuse me, 
there will actually be prosthetics that can take advantage of that neurological connection and you can control them. You can control the prosthetic just like it is your natural foot. Wow. Um, yeah, I've been very fortunate to see it, you know, in action at MIT through my participation in some of their studies. Um, and it's wild, man. It's wild to look down at a robotic device that's like mounted to a wall and think about moving it and watch it move, like, uh, with a fairly, um, fairly impressive level of control. Um, you know, think about it like if you wanted to step on an accelerator pedal and somebody told you to just give the gas pedal like 30%, like you can do that. It's, it's wild. It's wild to look down and watch it happen. So hopefully in seven to 10 years, um, they have something for you. Yeah. Where you'll be. It's, it's cool. And I think it, uh, it'll suit a lot of people. I don't know that it's right for me, but, um, I, you know, having used it in lab in its current configuration, like I definitely prefer a mechanical book. Um, but that's also because I mean, you know, life parts, right? Like, yep. uh, even if they had one of those bionic devices that I could take out a lab, I feel like I would just destroy it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the pure mechanical ones are a little bit more robust for somebody with my activity level. And uh, so you're testing out a new product right now, right? I know we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, man. This thing is uh, really, really cool. Um, there's a company called Biodapt. Uh, so they develop a prosthetic knee and feet uh, for people who are into um, extreme sports. Uh, so snowboarding skiing skateboarding uh, and then they have like a dis- uh, a line of feet called like the versa foot that's intended for people who want to like deadlift and they need that simulated ankle um so this company has been great to deal with they were kind enough to send my prosthetist a uh, a demo unit and actually wearing it right now and uh this thing is like badass especially for like a car nerd like myself because it's like it's got an adjustable shock, so I can adjust, I can dial in that rebound and that compression. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, awesome. A really cool looking piece. It's uh, user friendly. Yeah, and it's com- it's comfortable. That's that's the biggest thing. That's uh, comfort as an amputee is a hard thing to come by sometimes. So um, having a device that you don't want to rip off and throw across the room is definitely a plus. So let so let's talk about so. You, I know you had said that this vice device is on loan to you, right? You're like a, it's like a, you get to try it out and see how it works. Right. Yeah. It's a demo unit. And, uh, so let's, so what does it take to get this in your possession? What, what do you have to do? What are the. Dude, that is my biggest gripe as an amputee. Um, so I apologize to any of your listeners in advance if they work in the field, but like, fuck medical device companies <laughs> um you, you know it, it, this is going to be hard for like some of the people who listen to your podcast to like follow along in because i know that you have people from like all walks of life yeah um, but, but they're going to connect with like production right like designing a product bringing it to life um pretty well versed in that i got a good idea from the motorsports industry of what it takes as i develop my stuff quite regularly um but the moment you 
attack medical device onto whatever you are manufacturing, all of a sudden the price goes up exponentially. Um, and that's what I've found through this journey of prosthetic technology. It's like, holy shit, do they get a lot of money for this stuff? Um, so, you know, to, to answer your question, uh, as an amputee, if I'm online and I'm going to the manufacturers and I find a foot that I like, and let's say I already have my socket that goes on my residual limb. I've got all my hardware. It's literally a foot swap, right? Like I just want to buy this foot and I want to use it and I want to have it on my prosthetic. Um, there is only one company that you can call up and do that with. One out of all the prosthetic manufacturers. Uh, that company is Levitate. Uh, Levitate makes blades for high active amputees like myself. So they make like running blades. Yep. Um, for like cardio training and running and marathons and all that great stuff. Um, they are the only company that I'm aware of that you can call them up or go on their website, order their prosthetic device, and it comes in a kit that you can do yourself, right? Um, so, again, I'm very fortunate to have one of their products. Um, Heather Abbott Foundation, which is a nonprofit out of Rhode Island, uh, purchased that for me. Um, super grateful, super nice product. Um, every other manufacturer, if you want their prosthetic device and you like their design, you have to go through a registered prosthetist and there is no commercially available pricing. Really? Um, none. Like you will not find pricing. You might find a little community board where somebody's like, Oh, Hey, I bought that foot and I saw my insurance paperwork and it was X, Y, Z. Um, that does not mean that's an accurate reflection of what the foot will be for your scenario. Um, and furthermore, you don't know until you find the registered prosthetist to go through. So as you can imagine, for somebody like myself, beyond frustrating, right? Like I'm more than capable of unbolting a foot and bolting another one. Mm -hmm. um, every single time that I have to consider doing that is now a ride to Boston for me. And, um, you know, that, that's a little bit of an anomaly, um, abnormality. Uh, most people try to find a prosthetist that are like right in their backyard. Um, and there's some great places on Cape, but I prefer to work with the people who I'm working with. So, um, you know, in order to do that, I have to go to Boston. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just crazy to me. It's crazy to me that like such a crucial component that you rely on to, to live out your life every day, you have no control over, you have to go through a third party company. Um, and I hope that's something that changes in the future. Um, but I, I'm not very optimistic. Um, so that's the first thing, you know, accessibility to these products, mm -hmm. being able to plan accordingly is very, very difficult. Um, and then the second issue is just that the price seems absurd. I mean, like, um, you know, these feet go, uh, an entry level foot is $5,000, you know, um, some of the fancier ones are with powered ankle units and things can easily exceed 15, 20 grand. Um, and that's just one aspect of what makes a prosthetic device. You still have the socket, the spacers, the liners, the socks. I mean, it's just so expensive. Um, and insurance only covers so much. And I'm sure you're only yeah, allowed. Everybody's insurance is different, you know, so I, I can't speak on that globally, but yeah, there's all sorts of rules in place. They'll only cover X amount of sockets per year. They'll only co uh, cover X amount of consumables. Um, so yeah, it's a, 
it's an uphill battle for sure uh, in terms of sourcing your devices. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like, um, I don't know. I, as you know, I, I started doing like a lot of work in the amputee community and like working as a support system for other people. Um, you know, it, it is so critical that early on you find a prosthetist you trust that you have a good relationship with that you can work with. Um, and it'll hear your complaints because the, the stuff, there's no roadmap for it, you know? Um, I would argue that my prosthetist is probably one of the best in the States. And I mean, even he struggles with my fitment um, and the things that pop up. So like you, you have to have a good relationship to these people and especially with how difficult they make it to procure some of the, the products you need just to stand again, you know? Yeah. And, and especially, you know, you, you're, you're active, you need to be mobile, you know, your, your business. I mean, you've, reinvented yourself a few times you know with the business um this i feel is just another reinvention of who you are and what you're doing um yeah it's just a chapter it is and you know like you know i've said this before everything happens for a reason i don't know what the reason is i don't know what lesson that needed to be learned but i mean you know maybe maybe this is you know this was supposed to happen because you're supposed to be helping other people that are in the same situation. And, you know, like I know November um, you're, you're potentially, or you're doing a boxing match, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm fighting, um, there's a great organization. Uh, Ryan Roach is the founder of Punch for Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ryan is the, the nephew of um, Freddie Roach, who's extremely famous and talented, uh, uh, boxing trainer, boxing coach, um, and you know, uh, Freddie has uh, Parkinson's. Um, it's a movement that's you know, I I feel like everybody at this point, I feel like everybody has had some type of connection with the Parkinson's disease. Yep. Um, whether it's a friend or family member, I mean, it it's right up there with cancer, man. I mean, it touches a lot of people, um, and. You know, uh, Ryan wanted to be active in that community, and uh, he saw how beneficial um, boxing training can be for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so he founded Punch for Parkinson's, which is a nonprofit that puts uh, people battling Parkinson's and MS into boxing gyms with um, quality trainers. Uh, you treat them like fighters, and, you know, they just train them to work on their coordination, their hand eye movement. Um, and, you know, it, in a lot of the studies, it's shown a reduction in um, symptoms by 30%. Wow. It's really, it, it's amazing. You know, uh, they had a situation with a woman who started her lessons, her personals, uh, on a walker. Um, and within a couple months, she progressed from, well, I think it's regressed, progressed, however you want to look at it. Um, she went from a walker to a cane to the point where, you know, she was standing and walking without any ambulatory aids. Um, and she credits a lot of that to uh, the mobility that boxing gave her. Um, and it was funny, I, you know, in January, uh, when I started my, my, my recovery, um, you know, for, uh, for, those of the, for those of your listeners who don't know, my invitation was last November. Um, 
it was uh, November 8th, 2022, and then January 23rd and 23, I got my first prosthetic. So, I mean, I, I haven't been on on a device very long. Um, but in January, when I uh, started my recovery process, the first thing I did was uh, I walked into the boxing gym, uh, Lee and Cello Boxing and Fitness. It's in the same complex as my shop. Uh, and I asked him if he would help me with like a more rigorous approach to physical therapy because uh, the physical therapy that I was receiving was great care, but it was just commercial physical therapy. It wasn't pushing me nearly as hard as I wanted to be pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found Chad. I started training in his gym. He took me under his wing. Um, and I fell in love with boxing. And um, Chad's actually one who introduced me to Ryan Roach, his movement with the punch for Parkinson's organization. So um, having firsthand seen the magic of boxing and what it did for my recovery, you know, when he started talking about what it does for people with Parkinson's and MS, I was like, well, yeah, fucking of course it does, you know? That's, I've, I've seen it firsthand. I know it does. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's a different perspective that most people don't have, um, you know, and, and an understanding that most people don't have because not everybody boxes. Um, so, yeah, he uh, he runs an annual fight. Um, this year it's held at uh, Big Live at TD Garden in Boston. It's November 5th. Uh, which is a Sunday, starts at uh, about 4.30. And I think he's planning on having about 15 bouts that night. Oh, nice. So it's a, yeah, yeah it's a charity event. Um, there's going to be a good group of us out there going on for the show to raise money for his organization and for the the people that are fighting on behalf of Parkinson's. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. It's uh, on a personal level, too. It's, uh, you know, it's on November 5th, so it's three days before the one-year anniversary of my amputation. Um, so being able to show that, like, yeah, I had this traumatic experience. I lost part of myself, but I'm never going to get back. But it doesn't define you, you know, right. at all. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm a walking testament to that, right? <laughs> No pun intended, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I, I looked at the situation and you know, the boxing thing, like, as much as it was for my health, it was also to prove to myself that, you know, I could have something happen and it's not going to slow me down. I can, still, I can still pick up new things. I can still excel at things. I can still be good at things. Uh, it just requires a slightly different toolbox. That's That's it. Yeah, it just change, changes the way that you're doing things a little bit. That's all. Exactly. I mean, like, like you said, you've known me a long time. Prior to this, I don't think I ever stepped foot in a gym in my life. Like, um, I was always active. And, I mean, you know, coming from the trade industry, you're always on your feet, you're always on the go. Yep. Um, so my regular job always had me active. And then outside of that, you know, I'd go hiking, do a little bit of, like, exploring and occasional running, but that was it. Um, so to come out of this whole situation um, and essentially get a new lease on life, it was really what they gave me, you know. Um, the amputation really did. It gave me my freedom back. Um, so I wanted to take full advantage of that. That's where, like, the fitness aspect of everything I've been doing. I've, 
I've been doing has come from. Nice. <clears throat> and uh, just real quick to touch down, uh, tickets for this event that you're going to be uh, doing? Yeah, so I, I don't think we've... Uh, they're going to be available on Ticketmaster, so the punch for Parkinson's event, and uh, all the fighters are going to have tickets for sale as well. Okay. Um, they haven't been released to us yet. Uh, we have our first sparring day in August. I believe it's August 8th where, you know, we meet our competitors and um, we do, like, a promotional sparring event. Sure. Um, and I think we're going to get all of our ticket information, you know, right around that time. So the next week or two, should have ticket information available. Um, I, I really don't know what the price point is. I, I believe last year was, like, 75 bucks. Yeah, that's um, but it's going even at seventy five bucks. You're going to watch fifteen fighters fight, and you're you're donating to a um, a fantastic cause. I mean, it, oh yeah, yeah. Like you know, if, if you haven't tried, you know, anybody who's unfamiliar with it and um, all the amazing stuff that Ryan's doing, you know, definitely check it out. Um, Punch for Parkinson's is an amazing organization. It's always doing like crazy giveaways. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely something I encourage everybody to check out because it's a, a great way for them to contribute to an amazing cause and get something out of it too. You know. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm looking forward. I, I mean, I'm planning on coming out for it, so I. Uh, yeah, you, you don't get a choice. I'll drag you out. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I've got no excuses. <laughs> what else are you doing? What else are you doing in November? Nothing. I mean, that's just that's just, that's New England. Yeah, right. Seriously, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Hopefully, not get the shit kicked out of myself, and then celebrate Mike Mom. <laughs> well, if you need somebody to come over and just punch on you for a bit, I can. Oh yeah, definitely. I'd love to add that to my resume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been training, and I, my buddy's been coming over and just beating on me for a bit. Um, yep, you sound like my coach. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Yeah, that's awesome uh, because you know that's that's what. Uh, that's what a motivator does for you and, and getting into that mindset and having people around you that are of that same mindset and, and moving forward and, and, you know, really putting yourself, um, you know, cause dude, you know, and under a year you, you've had your, had your leg amputated, mm-hmm. life changing, you know, had mm-hmm. to adjust your business to that decided mm-hmm. to pick up, fitness in the form of boxing and here you are less you know three days shy of your your amputation you're going to be boxing for parkinson's in in a charity event like dude that's if you really sit back and think about that's pretty fucking amazing and may i just bring out the fact that i feel bad for whoever i'm fighting like it's a charity event but like Bro, lose, lose for you. If I win, you got your ass kicked by a dude with one leg. And if I lose, then you beat up the guy with one leg. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I win either way, man. I'm just there for a good time, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I am taking it serious. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's funny when you look at it um, through a different lens, you know what I mean? Like, in, you know, I'm appreciative that uh, my, my competitor is willing to go toe-to-toe because uh, – you know, a lot of guys would look at my situation, not even step in the ring. So, so um, just, just so we're clear, you're not fighting another amputee, correct? No, no, I'm fighting somebody that's in my weight class. So, uh, you know, I'm fighting 190 pounds. That's uh, that's where I want to land. 189, 190. And that's what I'm going up against. That's a good fighting weight. Yep. 
I'm about yeah, double that. So. Yeah, I came out of the surgery 240, and I'm down to 199. Good for you, man. That's yeah, so awesome. 50, 50 pounds in four months um, is what I lost. Yeah, it's it's amazing that, uh, and especially after after having surgery, and and you know, there's because there, there is a time where you can't do anything. You're you're just waiting, and that's when you put on the you know me. I'm an emotional eater, and right. I right. and I boredom, eat shit. Boredom gets me. Good. Oh my god! It's, yeah. Yeah. Sitting around yeah, so waiting. Like when you're sitting in bed and you have nowhere to go, like you've watched everything conceivable on Netflix, like what do yep. you do? Yeah. Eat. Spend five grand on DoorDash. Yeah. <laughs> They're here every night for you. <laughs> They're providing a service. Multiple times, lunch and dinner. This yep. is absurd. Yeah, we love no, this guy. He's a frequent flyer. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, no, you, you know, you, you, something that you just said, uh, uh, resonated with me and that's another thing that's like worth definitely mentioning so like uh you said emotional eating right like, yeah um and you had also mentioned like after surgery like there's a point in time where you can't do anything right um that was probably one of the biggest fallacies i told myself i think during the recovery like i didn't have a prosthetic therefore i can't do anything you know what i mean yeah um, and that was just like that was me 1000% and I think we all do that like we want an excuse to not do the hard work right yeah um, well yeah w- what's the easy and that's that that easy way out that that cop out attitude it's uh it's not a positive attitude and you're cheating yourself yeah, yeah it, it, it gets you nowhere like absolutely nowhere. No, it's <clears throat> and uh, no, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm happy that that you're doing this and that you found, uh, um, be, you know, because I, you know, like I said, we've known each other for for quite a while, and uh, you know, seeing seeing you and how you've changed in in, in areas that, you know, I, I do. I don't I don't know how I would handle an amputation, but. You know, you're giving people out there that, you know, have either that can relate to you that have had it or have to have one, you know, hopefully this this gets out to people, um, you know, any other fellow amputees. Um, I, there's a bunch of people listening right now. Um, I don't know who some of them are, but, um, you know, again, hopefully this is getting out there and giving somebody a little bit of positive. Like at the end of this talk, if anybody says to me, well, you know, I don't really think I can do that. Like you know what? You need to listen to this talk that I just had with my friend Brandon because there's a lot of shit you can do. It's just, you got to be willing to get out of that mindset, you know, and be absolutely man. Like, um, you you know, just to extend on your point, like I I am not special in any way, shape or form. I'm just a regular ass dude. Um, well, well you and I are fucking special. What was that? I said, you and I are fucking special. Just in a oh, different yeah. way. <laughs> we're, we're, we're special, all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and regarding, uh, you know, regarding like the whole amputation thing, right? Like, it was the decision wasn't hard. It really wasn't, right? Like, I had already suffered for three years at this point. Like, um, you know, just. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the best way to frame this. Um, 
you knew my dad was like very sick all through my childhood. Yep. Um, so, you know, my dad was disabled literally my entire life, um, right up until his passing. So, you know, my childhood, um, I have no complaints about my childhood, but I didn't have no, like, go outside and play ball with dad. Um, and that was like, I think that was the hardest thing over the past three years was like not being able to, uh, go outside and do those fun things with the kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like not being able to play on the grass, you know, not being able to like go to an amusement park and walk around because after 300 feet, I was just smoked. Um, like losing out on all that. That was like my biggest motivator for pursuing the amputation because when I went into Dr. Cardi's office and, uh, you know, I told him what my complaints were, what my reservations were, and where I wanted to be. I mean, he was like, yeah, no problem. We'll have you running. We'll have you jumping. You know, we'll have you hiking. Like, we have patients that are doing all these things. So, like, the decision was really not hard. It's just the work. You yeah. got to put the work in. And, like, nobody's going to do the work for you. And, uh, you know, like you said, there's quite a few people listening right now. If there are any other amputees or, like, people struggling with their own physical ailments and, um, you know, whatever that looks like for them. Um, there's no such thing as too much PT. There is no such thing as, um, you know, taking advantage of uh, gym memberships or personal trainers. Like, just because your doctor gives you a prescription to go see somebody twice a week doesn't mean that that's all you need or that's all you should be doing. Like, right. At the end of the day, whoever you're working with, your, you know, your trainers, your uh, physical therapists, your physicians, none of them can do the work for you. You have to, you have to step up and, you know, put the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's uh, you get in what you you what you get out what you put in. You know, like uh, if yeah. you're if you're gonna put it in fifty percent, then you're gonna get fifty percent out. You absolutely. put put a hundred percent in, you're gonna get hundred percent out. I mean, that's just uh, that's just the way things are. Um, you know, and that's that carries over into everyday life and anything that you do. You know, like you know, it's like you know uh you know, with, with plumbing, like, you know, you know, and like you can do half ass and you're going to ha- do half ass work when well, you're not going to have people coming back to you and being happy about doing half ass work, you know, right. like, oh, what the fuck? Like this guy just did this and I paid him and it's not really nice and no, but you can do, you know, put your, put your heart into it, you know, and, and really give them a good product and like, holy shit, this is awesome. And then it's like word of mouth. And again, it's, it's a, it's a good thing. It's positive. Um, but, uh, Absolutely. no, so, so I'm, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, where you're at, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing where, where things are going to go for you because, uh, you know, I just feel like you're such a driven individual, um, when it comes to, to, you know, succeeding and, and proving things to themselves. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to your journey. It's, um, it's been, it's pretty been remarkable. Um, you know, and I, and I, remarkable is a pretty big word. Um, and I don't like using it a lot. Um, but this instance, I think this is, uh, again, it's a remarkable journey that you've been on where you're going. You know, not only with the 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 car stuff, um, you know, that's just a whole nother awesome 
thing you have going on in your life, um, you know, and it's awesome that you still enjoy doing that stuff because it's like most days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I get it. You know, it's like you know, you have you know your job, you know, and you have a you have a career. You decided right. to make the cars, you, you know, your career. That's that's what you do. It's you know, not who de- it doesn't define you, but it's you know a huge part of your life. And, uh, you know, now I see you with, you know, the amputation and then the boxing and all the stuff that you're doing. It's like, okay, where's this going to go for him? Cause I, right. I, I think it's gonna, I think it may change the way that, you know, maybe what you're doing. And, uh, you know, you talk, you were talking about prosthetics, you know, my thought when you were talking about that, I'm like, this motherfucker is going to start his own prosthetic company. <laughs> it's definitely something that's on my radar, man. Because uh, people need an affordable solution, and there's not a lot out there in the way of it. No, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're such a mechanical person, and you take, you know, you can take thought to paper, and then from paper and execute and and, and come out with, you know, some pretty awesome shit. I mean, there's nobody else is really doing what you're doing uh, when it comes to the car thing. I mean, that's... I appreciate that, man. Yeah, no, I... I just carve out my own little unique thing. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the industry and uh, a lot of different ways to cut that pie. There are, and a lot of them are snake oil salesmen, you you know, and that's... (laughs) And I'm not knocking any... You know, I'm not knocking the industry. You know, I know, you know, I've been around it long enough and see what other people go through, you know, and have conversations with folks like you, folks like Steve you know, who have really been around in, in just the, 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 just the, that cookie cutter shit is, is I guess what I want to call it. Um, where it's just, you know, mass produced, it's crap, you know, it may, you know, I'm not going to shit on people for being into that stuff, but it's like, don't you want to be unique and have your own thing and like, not be like the rest of the people out there? Right. But what 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 age do we live in, right? Yeah, we, I know. We live in the age of instant gratification. So I I know. We we carry you know, around you've got, a. You've got yeah. two avenues, right? You jump on YouTube and you get all your answers, and you go out and you copy what somebody else has already paved the way to do. You know, or you take the hard route. You figure it out. Most people don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, they want it. Well, that's that's. It seems to be like a generational thing. Um, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not knocking, um, the younger generations, but like us, the Gen X, um, generation, like we're fucking hard nosed. You put your, put your nose to the grindstone. You, you carry forward, you move on, you know, you, you may have, I mean, I failed plenty of times in life and you know, you got to put your pants on the next day, put your boots on, you still have to go out and, and you have to make a living and you have to live. Um, right. It's just, you know, how many times are you willing to fall down and then get back up and then, okay, you know, maybe I'm not going to fall down as much, but I'm still going to fall down. You're still going to have shortfalls and failures. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think, growing as a person. And, you know, like I said, that the age group um, we're in, it's, it's just a little bit different with the younger kids because like you said, instant gratification, fuck. I mean, you, you have a, you carry around a computer in your hand with access to knowledge that like you can look anything up and and have an answer. And it's like, 
you know, I remember 15 years ago before these things were really a big deal, the phones, it was like, yeah, you texted and stuff on it, but you weren't like doing interactive things and, you know, checking social media and, and, you know, connecting with people on social media, you know, right. I mean, that's, I guess that's the plus side to this, um, the, the instant gratification slash, you know, the, the era we're living in, there is some cool stuff that does come about it. Um, you know, right. where you have fan interaction on Instagram with, you know, people that follow you or what, or whatever, or, you know, people posting stupid shit and, and it's just, you get a laugh out of it. It's like, that's the stuff I enjoy, but, sure. uh, but no, um, getting back on topic, um, you know, let's, uh, I guess, you know, so right now things are going in a, um, things are going in a, in a positive direction for you. You have some good things going in your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what, uh, what, what do you, what, what direction are you going in now? Like, what, what do you, what do you see for yourself in the future? My biggest thing is just getting back to the automotive stuff. Now that like, uh, I've got the physical capacity to be in the shop for like full days. Um, you know, I'm just eager to get back to where I left off. You know, I want to finish, uh, I want to finish this Monte Carlo and start making passes again. I've got some great products that uh, are in the fire with a couple more uh, applications that we're going to start supporting. So there's a lot going on. Um, You know, as you can imagine, I got quite the backlog after being down for several months, but um, making the best of it, you know. Mm -hmm. In the new shop, you enjoy the new shop. It's I love my shop. All my neighbors in here are fucking awesome. My landlord's a super chill guy. Um, it's like there's 22 units in here, and it's like, uh, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just blessed to be surrounded by really, really good people. Yeah, that's uh, that's critical, as you know, not only right. for a su- successful business, but to be personally successful, you have to be around de- decent people, good people, you know, pos- positive people. You know, like having your boxing coach in the same facility, you know, how far down is he a couple doors from you yeah exactly um he's like four or five units down so and you know what's Uh, you know what's awesome is accountability him being there you have to be like you have to go buy that motherfucker every day all right you know what you know what i mean so there's (laughs) like you're not cutting a corner or like yeah i'm just not gonna do this today like you know i'm sure he holds you accountable which is which is you know all part of that training process right you know and his uh his mentality too and what he asks of people like you know you're in there to work and he expects you to work right um but he's also a realist and he doesn't expect that you're going to turn into a pro fighter overnight you know the only thing he asks of everybody that goes in there is he wants to see a one percent improvement by the time you leave every day um and like, I don't know, that just really resonated with me because that runs parallel with the recovery. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're going to have shit days where it doesn't feel like you made any progress, but you did. I guarantee if you got up and you tried and you put some effort in, you at least accomplished 1%. Yeah. Um, so that his, his philosophy regarding progress like really runs parallel to my own philosophy through the recovery, if that makes sense. It, it does. And that in, in setting goals, like realistic goals with 1% progress, 
that is right. a that is a huge huge um mental thing you know what i mean that's that mentally that is so good for because people set up unrealistic goals like oh i'm coming in here and i've been lifting weights and i'm going to be bench you know i'm doing 250 but by the time i'm done next week i'm going to be doing 350 it's like no you're not motherfucker no, like no, you did 285 and now you got an injury. Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. Like everything. <laughs> but that, again, that's part of how we were brought up. Um, you know, that 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 type of mindset. Um, again, you know, we're not looking for, you know, the, the $150 million payout. I'll be happy with the $150 payout. Right. Like it's something you're, 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 you need to, you can't, you need to walk before you can run. Absolutely. And I'm not, not saying that because uh, can you run now? How is it with this, uh, with this foot? Dude. Um, so I haven't, I haven't run with this biodap one, but with my levitate blade, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, my, my only limiting factor is my wind. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Your cardio. Right. Yeah. How much? How much do you have in the tank? Exactly, and that's what I work on, you know, regularly. The uh, yeah, you know, all in all, everything's on the up and up. Like, it's easy to get discouraged sometimes. Like, you know, I, I've obviously talked to you on the phone a couple times uh, prior to this you know, over the past week or so. I'm like, yep. Um, you know, in addition to uh, this foot that I'm trying out, I'm also going through my my fitment process again for my new socket, as you as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be extremely mentally draining just cause like, it's never right. The first shot, you know, it's a lot of feedback, a lot of revisions before they can move to production and get you out of a test socket and go back into a carbon one. So like, um, you know, the past 10 days I've lost out on training, um, which has definitely sucked a little bit like, yep. uh, because that's my mental outlet too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, um, but I'm, I'm stressed. I can go work that be bad. Like that's great, and I, I haven't really been able to do that. Um, but I can start doing it again. But like, um, you know, like this week I can start getting back into the gym, which is great. But that's like just one of those examples of like, yeah, there's a hiccup. You just gotta, you know, take it for what it is. Know it's temporary. It's not. It's not a permanent setback, and um, just adapt and overcome. That's, and I think that like that can really be applied to, you know, everything like that, that train of thought can quite literally be applied to everything in your mind and in your life. Like sure. Nothing is permanent. This is all temporary. And that's true for like even people experiencing financial problems. Like it, you've got your entire life to make money. You'll figure it out. Like if you're determined, <laughs> you know, you'll come out the other end. Um, you know, you've been there. I've been there. I've, I don't think there's anybody tuning in right now that can't relate to having financial issues. Like it's just, yeah, it's yeah. And especially now everything's so fucking expensive. Oh my God, dude. You don't got to tell me. Yeah. We just, we went to the grocery store. Was it yesterday or the day before? We're like, you know, um, Don's like, Oh, we got to get stuff for lunch, you know, for you, for work, for the, both the boys for work. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, I'm like, oh my god, it's like 175 bucks, and I'm looking at like what we bought. It's like a gallon of milk, some some sandwich, you know, uh, meat and cheese, some rolls, 
and like just some basic like we had like two bags worth of shit. I was just gonna say, so you were walking out of the store after spending one hundred and seventy dollars. Yeah, exactly. Two bags that you brought. Yeah, you didn't want to pay their ten cents a fucking bag. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we and brought you were extremely unsatisfied with the six items that you took. You, you know, and it's funny because like <clears throat> certain th- now we've just we've learned to become more conscious about where we're buying stuff. Like if we're buying dried goods, napkins, toilet paper, like we'll we'll do a Costco run, like go go to Costco. Okay, I'm gonna buy like you know a case of toilet paper instead of paying you know six bucks for a four pack. I'm gonna spend twenty five and have enough for the month, you know. Right. And uh, just doing stuff like that, and you know, not spending a bunch of you know big Y. It's like. It's either big Y or stop and shop. That's our, right. Those are our choices. And it's like, Oh, which one's more this week? Right. It's just, it's, it's tough. And, uh, and you know, having kids too, they're, the boys are getting older. So their appetites also grow as well. Right. Right. <laughs> and then they, then they start, uh, wanting the finer things in life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I require two pairs of Nikes this week. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Get a job. I, 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 uh, I brought Ryan over to my buddy's restaurant for his birthday, right? You know, and uh, um, he, out of all the things on the menu, he decides he's going to order the fucking fifty dollars ribeye, right? And it's like, what? Touche. <laughs> what do you What do you think you're doing? Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I get you a kid's menu real quick. <laughs> I, he's like, I actually love ribeye. <laughs> that uh, my boys are the. TJ, especially like when we go out to a restaurant, like, you know, if they have prime rib on the menu, I'm getting prime rib. I like prime rib. He's in the same yep. boat. And it's like, he's all, I'm like, oh yeah. You know, when he was younger, I'd be like, yeah, I'll t- get the king cut. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to get the king cut. And I'd look at him I'm like, you see the first time you ordered it. I'm like, no way. But he gets it and like house like eats like three quarters of it. I'm like, okay. All right. I respect you. You are a connoisseur of prime rub as well. All right. You can get the king cut. But uh, yeah, man, I, I, I know uh, I know you got a lot going on in your life. And, um, you know, um, I, I appreciate you for coming on here and, uh, yeah, definitely, man. you know, telling your story is the um, I think we're at a good, a pretty good point um, where we can kind of wind things down and. uh like I said, I know you got a lot going on and, and your time is, uh, you know, you're away from your house right now doing the podcast in your shop. So, you ha- you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I just got back here and still got a, like another hour ride home. So, yeah. So I guess, um, do you want to, do you want to give a shout out or a plug to anyone? Um, is there anything that you want to touch on real quick? Uh, you know, I, I just appreciate you having me on. Uh, I definitely plugged all the, uh, the important people, um, Obviously, shout out to Kat. Um, we definitely wouldn't have been able to do any of this without her, so that's been a, a huge one. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, having having yeah. support group is, uh, whew, man, that is huge. Yeah, A1, absolutely, A1. But, uh, no, man, I, I appreciate you, appreciate our friendship, and uh, appreciate you giving me an outlet to share my story with your peoples. Yeah, brother. I mean, we're, 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 we're going to do this again. Um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll do, uh, do a live episode from the shop, um, you know, coming, coming up, um, you know, maybe closer to the, to the fight. 
um, we could do something to kind of talk about it and uh, what you, what you're doing to prepare for it and stuff and uh, you know get some yeah, more people. That'd be great. We just got to make sure we have a chaperone because nothing good comes of you and me being left unattended. Yeah, it's funny because those videos you sent me uh, yesterday, I, I I forgot about. Like I didn't forget about it, but I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, holy yeah, shit. And then you go down the rabbit hole and you're like, oh yeah, that one time that we slid sideways past your house during your neighbor's tag sale. Or <laughs> <laughs> a sealed food truck with purple and pink Camaros. Like the, the list just goes on and on. You're like, oh man, which ones of these can we talk about? Which ones can't we talk about? Yeah, the uh, the evening in the Camaro was uh, definitely... Uh, was definitely uh i think liam's highlight in his youth that was a that was a good night that was a good good times <laughs> and then and then what was it liam and ryan were in the monte carlo when i decided <laughs> yeah just gonna do an e-brake slide do a rockford here 60 mile, 60 mile an hour rockford past the driveway <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> yeah pay no attention to the neighbors and the people coming in and out of their yard for it's funny because after that um and they, those neighbors are so fucking awesome because even back to when I was, uh, you know, my boy's age, you know, high school, you know, we'd have, fuck, 20 cars, 30 cars over here on a Friday night, Saturday night, because we'd all be getting ready to go drag race, you know? I can only imagine the shit shows oh, that went on back then. It was like in my, and you know what was crazy is my father and grandfather yeah. were the fucking instigators. I can see that. They'd be out there. Does this burn out? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that was a challenge. That was what that was. That was a ch- that wasn't just a question. That was a challenge. And you put your big boy pants on. Yeah, exactly. And the goddamn oh uh, Kyle's Kyle is uh, listening to this. Uh, shout out to Kyle Lavalley in his 1968 blue GTX 440 that would do fucking insane burnouts and uh i have a video somewhere of him doing uh doing donuts in an intersection and all you can see is the the taillights when you tap them just 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 faint little red dots in the in the, in the smoke that is awesome <laughs> oh yeah we had some yeah we were stupid but it, we were actually smart because we recorded a video recorded a lot of this stuff and uh, you just you just dug out a bunch of like old VHS tapes from the, from the street racing shit, right? Yes, I've got some uh, yeah. stuff. We used to go down to Service Star in Westfield. It was like a dead end road, and uh, going going uh, you know drag racing down there, and then drag racing you know Memorial Drive back when Memorial Drive was a thing. Um, um, it's funny because I I actually was telling Sam Gold that you had found some of that footage because he found footage of us street racing down in Hartford in like 2008. Oh, um, really? He had like a whole night on camera, but it was back when he was working for like one of those production companies. So it was like, <laughs> it's like the equivalent of what we have in 4k now. Oh, <laughs> it's nice. Really good footage. It's pretty cool. Nice. Oh, I'd like to check that out sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I can, uh, I can send you a couple of the files cause he started uploading it. all. Oh, nice. I, th- I, I think Berlin turnpike too. We used to go down there a lot down in Connecticut. Yep, back in the good old days. Yep, back when guys would actually like trailer cars and unload them in a parking lot with no lights and fucking race and then load the shit back up and then leave. 
we're such old men. We're bitching about our grocery prices and how we <laughs> now use this street race. <laughs> yeah, I have my little. What are, what the hell are they? Eight millimeter. The little I had because we had. <clears throat> Um, my father had like the big VHS camcorder, like with like the full size tape that looked like a goddamn recording studio. And then I'll never forget the, the mini, the eight millimeters came out and it was like, this thing just fits in the palm of my hand. It's like, Ooh, you can record (laughs) very discreetly with this. And, uh, you know, when you're doing stupid shit, driving around like, Oh yeah, I'll just bring this little mini camcorder with me to record this. And it's still the size of a brick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, good times. No, I uh, again, I I appreciate you coming on here. I appreciate the talk. Um, like I yeah, said, I anytime. Like I told you before, I'm I'm really stoked about what you're doing. It's cool that uh, you know, you kind of found your passion. You're jumping in head first, so I'm looking forward to the the next chapter of this. Yeah, this is uh, this isn't a job for me. This is a, uh, you know, I said this to um, to people now. You know, this is my career. This is where I want my career to take me. Um, you know, connecting with people, having a positive conversation on, you know, on life, listening to their struggles and hopefully being able to relate <clears throat> with other people, you know, that, that, Definitely. that, that can, that have gone through this or are going through these issues or, you know, listening to a stupid story about drag racing, you know, hopefully brought some smiles to some people's faces, but, um, Definitely. yeah, man. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on here. Appreciate you doing this. And, yeah, uh, for having me, man. yeah, no, no, we're, we're, and like I said, we're going to do this again. Um, we'll do it closer to your fight. Um, you know, and then we can, we'll, we'll talk about that and, uh, you know, get people psyched up for that and hopefully get some people donating to you and, uh, you know, hopefully some people come down and check it out. Very cool. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you again, Tim. All right, brother. Have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. All right. You too. Later. Later. Bye-bye. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Um, I know it was kind of early going live here at five o'clock, um, but it was a uh, it was a schedule thing, and uh, you know it was it was beneficial um, for my buddy Brandon. It was beneficial for me tonight to do it early. Um, but again, um, if anybody follows or is on Instagram, um, you can follow at please cut here um, Brandon Furchis. Um, he's LS4 King. Uh, Furchis performance uh, previously. Um, his journey is very remarkable. Um, you know, if you tuned in tonight and heard that, um, you know, he had some some pretty awe-inspiring moments in his life, and uh, you know, a lot of lot of uh, a lot of hurdles that he had to overcome, and uh, he did it, and uh, he's doing it, and uh, he's doing it with a positive mindset, and he's going forward and not looking back, and. Uh, you know, if anybody can take anything away from it, that's hopefully what what you're getting out of this talk that we had tonight. So, uh, yeah, um, next week um, I've got a I've got a very special guest um, in the uh, music community. Um, so, look forward to uh, doing it again next Tuesday. We're gonna go live 7 p.m. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and uh, have a great night. Thanks. <laughs>